0: This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. Amen. Please remain standing for this morning's scripture reading from the gospel of John chapter six, verses 25 through 40. It's a longer passage. If you have to uh, sit down, that's okay. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is God's word. Please be seated. One time I was asked, how can you tell a smart dog from a stupid dog? Now, all of you dog lovers, I don't know if this is true because I don't have a dog, uh, but it it makes sense to me. I said, I don't know. I don't know how you tell a smart dog from a stupid dog. And the answer was, you can tell a smart dog by when you point to something, the dog looks to where you're pointing, not to your finger, right? You point, you throw the ball and the the dog looks at you and you're pointing this way, that way, that way. And the dog keeps looking at you as you're pointing. He said, that's how you know if it's a smart dog or a stupid dog. A smart dog will look where you're pointing A stupid dog will just stare at your finger. The gospel of John is written that you and I would know that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the one sent from God, and that we would believe upon him. That's why John wrote the gospel. Now, in the gospel of John, there are seven so-called signs and seven so-called I am statements. And in today's passage, we'll actually talk about one of the signs and one of the I am. The first I am, I am the bread of life, as we just read. Signs are interesting things in real life. We understand that if I tell you I live on Qualley Street, you understand uh, to get to my house, you follow the sign to the street. You don't expect me to be standing at the sign, right? Well, in a similar way, the signs that Jesus performs, these miracles are meant to point people who witness them, point people who hear of them to the thing that is signified. A sign signifies, it points to something greater. Well, as we see in today's passage, uh, these people are confused. But honestly, aren't we oftentimes confused? Don't we misread what Jesus would have for us? Don't we misunderstand and need Him to be gracious, need Him to continue to woo us, to beckon us? Today, I hope that's exactly what happens. And in the series, I hope that's what happens. I hope that all of us come back to these signs and the discourses where Jesus says, I am, in this case, the bread of life. What does that mean for you today? What does that mean for us now? So today we're gonna move through this sermon. We're really gonna, I'm gonna preach a sermon on a sermon in a sense. And we're gonna move through with three movements. The first one is we're going to set the table. All right, so setting the table. What is happening in this passage? Well, we jumped in, in the middle of something that is unfolding, right? When they found him on the other side, they said to him, when did you come here? See, the day before, there were, we would read 5,000 heads of household. So who knows how many people, I've read up to 20,000 people, I don't know. But at least 5,000 heads of household, 5,000 families were with Jesus in the wilderness. All right, this was just the day before this passage that we read. And when they were out there, Jesus was teaching and it was getting meal time towards the end of the day and he looks at his disciples and he says, we should probably feed them. What do you guys think? Now, just imagine, I want you to engage these I am statements, these metaphors. We, we need to engage our minds. This is an aside, but we need, we need to engage our minds. So as we're listening, I want us to picture this, okay? I want us to picture this large crowd in the wilderness, not in a city, not in a synagogue, in nature, thousands and thousands of people. And Jesus looks at his disciples and in that context says, we should probably feed them. And of course, they say, what we would have said, "Mm, how's that that gonna happen? Well, then Andrew says, well, hey, this little boy over here, he's got some fish and some bread. Will this do? And Jesus says, sure, bring it over here. And so this is the feeding of the 5,000 that happened the day before. Jesus blesses it. And it says that everyone ate as much as they wanted until they were satisfied. And then there was even some left over. So that just happened. And I wish we had time. Jesus actually walks on water in between this, uh, just, just so you know. And he's come to the other side, and they're confused why he's there. But then Jesus, rather than engaging them on their question, goes straight to their motivation. He says, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You see, he knows that the sign that he performed where he was meaning to point to something more than simply bread, they didn't get it. They were coming back for more bread. So he tells them this, and then he gently rebukes them, and he says, do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So how do they respond? They say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So they still don't get it. They still don't understand what Jesus is saying. They still think that the sign of Jesus providing them food is mainly physical material food. That's what they think. And Jesus tells them, that is not it. That is not it. Why are you coming to me? You're coming to me because you want more physical food. And they're coming thinking, well, maybe if we do the works of God, whatever those are, we can just keep eating this food. Maybe if we do the works of God, that Jesus will keep feeding us this way. That's what they're thinking. That's the question. Well, what are the works of God so we can keep getting this this food? And Jesus says to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who was sent. You see, the sign is supposed to point to Jesus, but they're not seeing that. They still think that it's about food. They think that if we can do the right work, somehow, maybe God will continue to bless us. Now, although this isn't the main point that I'm gonna make today, I did have to, I wanna stop at this point and say, aren't we so often like that? Aren't we concerned that if we can do the works of God somehow and keep God happy, he'll keep blessing us? Don't you think that way sometimes, right? So, so my conviction over my sin isn't really, at least sometimes when I'm very candid, it's really about if I do this, if I don't, if I don't love God like I'm supposed to, he might stop blessing me. And more than that, it, it's not that it just might stop short, uh, sort of dry up, but that he might actually remove things from me, that he might actually take things away from me, that he might actually pull the rug out from underneath me rather than pursuing Jesus because he loves me, because in him is life, because in him is everything we desire, sometimes I'm afraid we pursue him because we think that that will keep him blessing us. And Jesus cuts that off right away. He says, no, that's not it. The works of God are to believe in me. So verse 30, they said to him, well, then what sign do you do? That we may believe you. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, this is part of setting the table. This is no random direction that they take this conversation. Right? This isn't random. Why are they bringing up Moses? You see, in Deuteronomy 18, they know that the Messiah would be like a second Moses. What happened the day before? They're in the wilderness needing food and Jesus provides food from them for them. That's a lot like Moses, isn't it? Moses in the wilderness, the people need food and God provides manna from heaven. So they know that when Jesus says, I am the bread, Jesus is claiming to be something like a Moses, something like a provider, something like a redeemer. So what they say to him is, well, here's the deal, Jesus. You only did this one time, big deal. We need more than that. I mean, Moses did it for years. What sign do you have for us? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. What about you, Jesus? You gonna keep doing this? We need more than this if we're gonna trust in you, if we're gonna believe in you. Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the food. So I don't know if that was Jesus's tone, but that's how, I, that's how I'm reading it. Because he's gracious, he's gentle, but I think he's gotta be exasper- exasperated. But it's not out of anger, it's out of compassion. He's saying, listen, take, just take your eyes off of Moses for a second. The point was never Moses." The point was never the manna. It was always meant to point you to God as your provider, to point you to God as your sustainer, the one who gives life. More signs. Don't compare me to Moses. This is what Jesus says For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus said to them, verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This isn't random. This table has been set since Moses and now Jesus is sent from the father to fulfill this promise, to be the bread of life. So the table is set and now Jesus wants to turn their eyes away from Moses to him. And he points them to the fact that God is the one who is supplying the bread. So they've come to Jesus looking for more physical bread and Jesus is pointing them to a different kind of bread. So then they try to go to, what about Moses though? Moses gave manna in the wilderness, but Jesus is saying, no, listen, that was meant to point to the God who gives life. Just like he would provide life to them in the wilderness through feeding their bodies, he would sustain and protect them and give them abundant life and keep his covenant with them. That was the point of the manna. Now, God's blessing was not less than physical nourishment, but it was more. It was always meant to point to more. Now, what is bread? Why bread? At its most basic level, bread is nourishment, right? Without nourishment, you cannot live. Without nourishment, you die. It gives you life. What Jesus is saying here, though, is that the nourishment of God is more than just bread, but it's not less than. So I do need to say that. Listen, do you remember this summer, for those of you who who were with us, we preached through the Lord's Prayer, and the first petition in that whole prayer that Jesus tells us to ask for is what? When we ask for ourselves is what? Our daily bread. And we said that that expands to asking God for any resources we need in order to thrive and flourish in the mission that he has given us to do. So it's not less than. Don't hear me saying that. Jesus isn't calling them to less than. Jesus never calls us to less than. He always calls us to yes and more. Yes, and more. So the nourishment of God is a nourishment beyond all other because Jesus says this nourishment is life itself. It's the life of the world. So Jesus is speaking here of a hunger and thirst that all of us experience. And this hunger and thirst is something that only God can satisfy. It's a desire, what? To know your creator and to be known by him. That's why Jesus says, come to me and all who come to me, I will not cast out. Why would he say that? Because he's giving us assurance that when you come to me, you will find a home. We sang about this. You will find a home. You will find rest. You will find nourishment. You will find life when you find me. And this hunger is so deep, but we are so often so malnourished. So malnourished. And in our pursuit of satisfying this hunger, we settle for junk food, which gives the illusion of satisfaction because it fills our bellies for a while, but it doesn't meet the nutritional needs we have. So we eat more and more and we become sicker and sicker. We eat more and more, but we become more and more malnourished unless it's this bread of life. This week I was reading on ESPN.com and I I don't watch UFC, um, but there was an article on UFC and that stands for, what does it stand for? Ultimate Fighting Championship? I don't know what it stands for, but this is what they do. If you don't know, they put people in a cage and then they beat each other up. It's really high brow. And then they also have women do this. So apparently coming next is children. I don't know, just put children in a cage and see what happens. So I'm reading this article, and I find out that apparently, recently, there was a very big UFC title match between a woman named Ronda Rousey. She's been apparently pretty good for pretty long, defending her title, and she doesn't just get beat. She gets beat so badly that her jaw is broken in several places, and she was unable to eat solid food for a time because they had to sew her mouth shut. They had to wire it shut. So last week, I'm reading this article because she was on the Ellen DeGeneres talk show talking about her experience uh, for the first time since it happened. And I wanna read you a couple of quotes from her. She's crying. Uh, I did watch the Ellen video. She's crying. And she says, "Um, honestly, my thought, this is a quote, my thought in the medical room, I was sitting in the corner and I was like, what am I anymore if I'm not this? Literally sitting there thinking about killing myself. In that exact second, I'm like, I'm nothing. What do I do anymore? No one gives a blank about me anymore without this. Well, she's sitting there, so I'm thinking, well, what happened? Why didn't she do it? I mean, she must have known that's not true. She must have somehow found that there's life in more than just winning and being this a champion. So I'm waiting for her, and she, she's crying, and she takes a breath, and then she says, and then, quote, I looked up and saw my man, Travis, was standing there. I'm looking up at him and it was just like, I need to have his babies. I need to stay alive. And I thought, the hunger was right. The hunger was good. But it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a disappointment. It was an opportunity. It was an opportunity for her. And it was missed. She took this identity of being a champion and she said, I'll be a mom. I'll be a mom, then I'll be special, then I'll be okay. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be a champion. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be a mother. And honestly, there's nothing uniquely wrong with her. We all struggle with this. We all suffer from this we all overlook opportunities to be called back to Jesus, the bread of life. And in our despair, in our discouragement, we look up and say, oh, look, there's something else. We're sitting in our proverbial proverbial hospital room contemplating, who am I without this? Who am I without this job, without this promotion, without this dream that I thought I had? Who am I without that? And then we blow the opportunity. What do you do? What do you and I say when this happens to us? What do we say? We say, I need this. What is this? I need this to be me. I need this to have life. What is it for you? What is it for you now? Because I think it changes. I mean, I think the general concepts are usually the same. It's success and power and money and acceptance and control and identity, righteousness. I mean, I think that the categories stay the same, but what is it for you right now? I think the details change as we're walking through life, as new insecurities are uncovered, as we meet new disappointments that we've never uh, encountered before. So I would ask you to reflect on that. What is it for you? So we set the table. We set the table. We've seen that this is not random. This fits into God's overall redemptive story. And Jesus says, "I am the I'm greater than Moses. I, I'm the one who's been supplied by God, not to deliver bread for nourishment, but to be the bread for your nourishment. I am how your hunger can be satisfied." So he set the table, God has supplied the bread now, satisfying the hunger. Let's look back at verse 35. Again, our main verse for the day. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Remember our call to worship? Uh, If you want to, you can look at the front of your worship folder. It's printed in there. This is from Isaiah 55. And this clearly is an allusion to Isaiah 55. Jesus would have had this in mind, most likely, He would have been thinking about this call to come, this call to be satisfied, to have your hunger and thirst satisfied when you have no money to buy and to eat. You have nothing to offer. You see, in Isaiah's day, these people were in exile. They had been removed from Judah, taken out, and they were under oppression in exile. They were helpless, completely helpless. And yet God says, I'm gonna save you. I'm gonna provide for you. I still am your joy. I still am your satisfaction. And they're saying, we have nothing. We're here because of our disobedience. We're here because we were dragged out of our land because we refused to worship you and bow down to you. And God says, I know, I know that that's why you're here, but I'm coming after you. And I'm asking you, come come to me, buy and eat, be satisfied. I know you don't have anything because I took it all from you. You gave it away. I'm asking you to come and just bring you. Bring your hands open, just bring you. And Jesus is saying similar things. We say, I can't come yet or I can't come now because I don't have anything to offer. I'll tell you where that happens the most to me is community Bible reading, CBR. Every morning, it seems like, when I sit down to do CBR, I feel this pressure. I feel I want to meet with God. I want to be filled up with the gospel. But for some reason, I feel this pressure on me. And it feels like a chore, although I look forward to it before I go to bed. But then I wake up and it's like, I know Ted used to say things like this a lot. Something about um, uh, our brains have been, we have to reboot our gospel system, operating system every day. That's so true. So that's one way to say it. But what it feels like to me is death. It feels like pressure. It feels like, what am I doing wrong? I don't have anything to bring. And so I get to pray first the prayer of illumination and I'm trying to find the right words and I'm trying to think, well, how can I ask God to bless me? And I have to every morning remind myself the only way this works is if you come empty handed. You have nothing to give, Damien, nothing. You are here to receive, not to perform. That's hard for me, and I don't know why. And it's getting better because God is at work in my life. But if that's you, I want to encourage you. Take that voice, take that pressure, wherever it is. It doesn't have to be CBR. It can be anywhere in your life, right? It's more than just CBR for me. That's just the one that happens every day the same. What is, I mean, there's so many things where we think we have to clean ourselves up. We think we have to offer something. But the call to satisfy the hunger, the first step is to come empty-handed, to come and be ready. The only thing we have to have is an appetite. And I have found in my life, the more I surrender, the more I come empty-handed, the more in tune I am with how hungry I actually am. You see, oftentimes I distract myself thinking I can perform and I am deceiving myself on how hungry for God I actually am. But I found that when I'm vulnerable, when I just dump everything out of my hands, that vulnerability turns in to what it really is, to desire, to need, to hunger. And so this invitation in Isaiah, this invitation of Jesus to come, you will not hunger. Believe, you will not thirst. That's the point You have nothing to offer. And I love what Isaiah says here in verse two. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Isaiah exposes here how costly and yet how disappointing unbelief actually is. And this isn't total unbelief, right? We believe in something. Ronda Rousey believes in something, and then the next thing, and then the next thing, in order to make her feel okay, and she's not alone. We oftentimes do that. But here in verse two, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? It doesn't nourish you. It looks like bread. I still remember, this is a true story. When I was in elementary school, our, uh, our air conditioning went out in the building. And we were allowed to bring water with us. Right? We could bring water and keep it on our desk and then people would spill it. And so then we had to keep it off somewhere else and we had to ask permission. But then one time she said, if you want, you could also bring juice. Now I didn't normally drink juice, but I asked my mom, can you, can you buy some juice? And uh, she brought Sunny Delight. And uh, so I bring Sunny Delight all excited. And my teacher looks at me and she says, that's not juice. I thought it was juice. There's oranges. There are oranges on the bottle, but sure enough right there contains 0% fruit juice. I was old enough to read. She shows that to me and I was like, oh, this is bad. This is bad. So she, she was gracious enough to let me drink it. But I do that all the time in my life. I'm deceived by things I think will satisfy me, but actually they make me more thirsty. I'm more and more malnourished. We are all believing in something, just sometimes it turns out to be sunny delight. But Jesus is saying we can be satisfied continually. He's saying come and drink and eat and I will give you life and it costs you nothing. It costs you nothing, but it costs me everything. You see, isn't that the gospel? It's free to us, but it costs Jesus his life. in order for this bread to nourish us, it had to die. He had to die. But anyone at any time who comes to Jesus will not be rejected. Verse 37, I will not reject you. I'll not cast you out. Why? How can he be so sure? Does he know you? Does he know what you've done? Does he know what you think? How can he be so sure? Six billion people. On the earth, how can can Jesus just make this blanket statement? You come to God, he won't reject you. I won't reject you. All who he's given to me are all who will come and all who come will not be rejected. Does he know you? Yes, he does know you. That's why he can say it. He does know you, he knows everything about you. And he's saying, I will not reject you. And you know how I can promise you that? Because I'm gonna go be rejected for you. You won't be rejected because I will be rejected. You won't die because I will die. And pardon the pun, but this offer is really something that we, it's bread that we can really sink our teeth into. And this is what I mean by that. As I read and as I talk to people, there's this general spiritual sentiment. That eternal life, as John speaks of it, is somehow just this feeling that makes me feel happy. But that's not always true, so don't tell people that. That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, this offer is not merely some spiritual feeling that makes you feel okay about yourself. It is sharing in the life of God. Jesus calls it in John 6, eternal life. So of course, eternal life tells us how long it's gonna last. It tells us what type of life it is. It's eternal, but it also tells us that this life is life of the age to come, the new life which God has always planned to give to his world. He's always planned to give this life to the world. Jesus says, I have been sent by the Father to bring the life of the world. But the form that this eternal life will take in the end is not that of a disembodied spirit that so many of us assume today. It's not, it's right here. The eternal life that begins in the present when we believe and continue in the future beyond death will eventually take the form of the resurrection life. The entire story of John is te- that John is telling is designed to end with Jesus pioneering the way into this newly embodied life, the life that will be shared by all who taste this living bread. You see, it's the life of the future that has come into the now. Listen to this. For this is the will of my father, verse 40, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That hunger is so deep in you that the only way it will be satisfied is if you share in the life of God in a physical body forever. Jesus tells these, these people who come to him and say, what about Moses? Why can't you give us bread like Moses? Jesus says, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. I didn't come to give you that bread. I came to give you that bread and eternal life. So the gospel has us come, drink, eat for free and live forever forever. Or we can spend everything we have, be disappointed and die. Today, Jesus is inviting all of us, come afresh today and be satisfied by me, the bread of life, and be happy with me forever. Let's pray. Father, we, we are so thankful for send, you sent your son. Thank you for sending Jesus, the bread of life. Lord Jesus, we believe that you are God. We believe that you are the bread of life. We receive your claim to be divine. We receive your promise to us. We ask that we would increasingly take less time to come to you. We pray we wouldn't be so deceived by junk food, but that we would come for true, full nourishment in you. We pray that that nourishment will give us more and more life as we share in it. And that we, out of an abundance, would go out into mission and love others share the bread of life with others. In Jesus' name.